Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Acts chapter 20. I had my study done on Friday and Saturday morning uh, as I was doing things. The Lord was saying, well, I want you to redo it. And so um, I redid it yesterday. And so um, it's going to be deep. If you're new to the faith, I encourage you to make notes, take pictures. It's kind of like a recipe. As you have the ingredients on the table, you're kind of going to be looking at them going, well, I don't get what this is going to be. But you follow the recipe. And you want to follow it verbatim, because uh, my wife has done this. She does all the cooking. She's a great cook. But I forget what it was. One time she used margin instead of butter or whatever it was, and it didn't work. And so you want to follow the recipe, because uh, it might not come out the way you wanted it to. And so what we're doing here at Calvary, if you're new or visiting, we follow the recipe from Genesis to Revelation. And it gives us uncomfortable verses. It gives us challenging verses. Uh, it gives us verses that we're not going to understand until we get to heaven. So if you're frustrated with the Bible because you don't understand it, join all of us. Uh, Yes, you are not going to figure out. Just rest in that. But uh, the most important thing is that you live what you do know, what you do learn, as we're going to see this morning. And so Acts chapter 20, we're going to cover verses 29 through 31. I really encourage you to have a Bible, follow along. We're going to go over a lot of verses this morning. Paul speaking, uh, he's having, if you're new or visiting, this is a leadership conference at Miletus. He's heading towards Jerusalem. He missed Passover. He's going to make Pentecost. This is right prior to him getting arrested and starting that long journey towards his trial in Rome. And so he's addressing the leaders from Ephesus. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, again, these are leaders of the Christian church, and they would have known this exactly what he was saying, being shepherds and knowing sheaves and predators. Also from among yourselves, so not only from without, but Paul is warning them, even from within, even from within the church, also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse Things Very important that you note that. Misleading things. Trying to deceive us. Deceive you. To do what? To draw away the disciples after themselves. After themselves. Therefore, now here's the exhortation for the pastors, the leaders, but also for you and I as Christians this morning. Therefore, watch. Pay attention. Be observant. Know what's going on around you as what? Verse 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, to shepherd the church of God. So we all participate in that shepherding process. There's no way that the pastor and the assistant pastors can take care of Two, three, four hundred people. That's impossible. And to know what's going on in individual lives, that's impossible. So we all participate of this process because I've been in churches where things have gone wrong and nobody came to the leadership. And after it all came down, 
and lives were devastated, then obviously we got involved, but we had to do the cleanup and try to bring things back together. But nobody came to us until it was too late. So don't be afraid to come to the leadership, not out of judgment and condemnation, but just say, you know, I, I, I think something's off here a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. That's being a shepherd, and it's helping us shepherd the flock as well. Therefore, watch in verse 31, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Father, we, we thank you for the morning, and we thank you for these verses. And I know you had a plan and a purpose behind changing the message, and so I'm flexible. You be glorified. So Lord, I just pray that I can convey what uh, these verses have shown me with grace and mercy, with the proper tone, speaking the truth in love, but yet knowing that you are a God of justice, that you will not be mocked. So Father, we pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, before we got into this, I forgot, Jim, we want to throw up that slide about Moses, about numbers. Last week, I, I mentioned a little homework assignment. Some of you actually emailed me. It was fantastic. I had a good conversation that numbers is a hard book to read. Well, and I mentioned about there's something very specific in numbers that relates very specifically to the Gospel of John. So if you want to write down these numbers, uh, these references, you can uh, look that up later. But it talks about the crucifixion, or, or it shows the crucifixion, how he relates to the Old Testament with Moses there. And so those are the verses. Take a picture, write them down as we press on here. So we're pressing on with the various aspects or personal responsibilities that we as believers should be mature in our walk with the Lord. So we're going to list slides. There's going to be aspects here. So here's the list of the personal responsibilities we touched on so far. I'm not going to break them all down. I've done that the last couple weeks. Take a quick picture, and then we're going to move on. So there are the first three aspects. Then we got the next three aspects. And then last week, we talked about these two aspects, allowing the whole Word of God to shape our lives. And that's when I mentioned about numbers, reading from Genesis to Revelation, reading all of it. You're not going to understand it. Don't worry about that. But I encourage you to get it in your head. And then the eighth aspect we touched on was, am I allowing the Lord to be my shepherd, my personal shepherd, am I surrendering to him? Well, this morning we're going to cover one more aspect of our Christian faith, the ninth aspect, be aware of what someone is teaching you. Be aware of what someone is teaching you. And you might not understand this, so let me just explain it. As you are watching the politics of the day, they are trying to teach you something that I am the best candidate. Whether it's local, state, federal, they're trying to teach you. They're trying to convince you. They're trying to convey a message to you. Vote for me. I am the best candidate, and this is why. And then hopefully they explain why. So they're teaching you what they're going to do. Well, you, as a believer, need to evaluate that and say, how does that line up with the Scriptures? We're not electing pastors, we're electing politicians, so we have to say, how does it best line up with the scriptures? What, are, what is my best option? See, in verse 29 through 31 here in Acts, we read, there has always been and there always will be those who desire to take advantage of others. And this is very sobering to me because, as we just read, it will even happen within the church. It's very grieving when it does. There are those who will try to come into a fellowship and try to fleece 
or feed off of the flock. They can be very subtle in their attack, as most wolves are. So how can you or I know the difference between a wolf and a sheep? We don't want to be walking around suspicious of everyone. It's really quite easy. If we're willing to learn the word of God and seek after his eternal plans for us and not our own, wolves eat sheep. This is what you will see. Wolves take advantage of the sheep. You see, they have an agenda. And they seek out the weak ones. And what I mentioned earlier is exactly what happened in that scenario. They, they, the, the wolf came in. He, he sought out people that were not grounded in the word. He was very, very smooth. I mean, when it came out, we were all kind of like, what? Really? But then the evidence was laid on the table, and we all were just like, wow, this is hard to believe, but it's black and white. He was a wolf. So they're very subtle, but they seek out the weak ones, those who are not grounded in the word of God, and they will use, oftentimes use the word of God to be that convincing. And they will pray, notice, underline, P-R-E-Y, because why? They want to eat them. They want to abuse them. They will prey upon the sheep's fleshly desires. In this scenario, it was a Ponzi scheme. It was a Ponzi scheme. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up on your own time. But basically, it was the desire of financial gain quickly, get rich quick. He found certain people, he prayed upon them, and he walked away with thousands and thousands of dollars, damaging many, many lives. So we have to make sure that we're in the Word of God. You might think, well, how could such a thing happen? You see, because wolves don't care about the sheep. They pretend they do, but they don't care about the sheep. They just want to eat them, take advantage of them. And can it happen today in our midst? Absolutely. It can happen in this church if we're not aware of what's going on. Paul is warning this pastors about what I'd like to warn you about, as I already have done, that there are those who will come in, as well as those who might even be with, from within the body, that have unbiblical intentions. They may look like sheep. They might fellowship with the sheep. But eventually, they end up eating the sheep. It's sad, but this is what you have to be aware of. This is reality. So how can we protect ourselves as well as standing for the truth of the faith? Well, we're going to look at some verses that show us what God instructed Moses to do, as well as any society any society that would desire to be blessed by God. So, you know, I looked up Webster's definition of theocracy. Theocracy. This is what every country that wants to be blessed by God should have. Government of a state by the immediate direction of God. 1828, Noah Webster. Or the state thus governed. You see, we are supposed to be a nation under the rule of God. That's what's kind of said, spoken of, assumed for many, many years. Matter of fact, all of our money has this simple yet profound statement on it. You all know what that is, right? Four words. In God we trust. It's on every single piece of money that we have. But is that true today? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. And now again, you're going to have to really put on your thinking caps, write these verses down. You're probably going to have to go over them again. Think of the recipe. We're going to be jumping around. Initially, it's going to be confusing. But I think if you hang in there, take notes, and then go back over your notes, it's going to make a lot of sense. Matthew chapter 5 on the Mount of Beatitudes. 
You have heard that it was said of, to those of old, Jesus speaking to his disciples and those who are gathered, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Going back to the scriptures, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. So Jesus is going to what? The heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. It's about our own individual hearts. And whoever says to his brother, brother, raka, and that word in the Hebrew actually means empty, senseless, empty-headed, <laughs> empty-headed man, shall be in danger of the council. So coming before the Sanhedrin for judgment. But whoever says, you fool. Now here's a different word. This means dull or stupid. So calling a person, you are dull. In other words, you're not intelligent or you're just downright stupid. Jesus goes on to say, shall, in be, da- shall be in danger of hellfire. Sheol, Sheol, or Hades, Greek Hades, Sheol, Hebrew, both are in reference to what we call hell. So there's a big jump. There's a big leap. Okay? Let's look at Psalm 14. Psalm 14. There's a very big jump. Jesus says, you're going to be in danger of going before the Sanhedrin and being judged And then he goes, you're going to be in danger of going to hell, being judged and going to hell. Well, why would God do that? Does God send people to hell? No. God sends no one to hell. Matter of fact, the scriptures teach us that hell was created for fallen angels. But if you this morning are sitting here without Jesus as your Savior, and at the end of the study, you go, you know what? I don't care. This is foolishness. I don't want nothing to do with it. You're basically saying to me, you fool. You believe in that stuff? You are a fool. You're dull. You're stupid. I'm going to lunch. That's between God and you. What what does Psalm 14 say as David writes? The fool, notice that, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now in your Bible, you'll probably see those two words, there is italicized. That means they're not in the original text. So the fool says in his heart, no God, N-O, no God. I don't care what you say, there is no God. So now this helps us to understand what Jesus is saying a little bit in Matthew. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Let's look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10 as we build on this idea. Paul makes reference to that in Romans. If you're here today and you think, well, I don't need God. I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. As all of us Christians have acknowledged one time or another that we are sinners in need of saviors. And now we have the Holy Spirit helping us to sin less. We will never be sinless, but hopefully as believers we are sinning less. John 10, 34, Jesus says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? Notice that, little g. Again, we're going through the recipe here. 
If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, notice that, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and set into the world, so him there would be Jesus, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Now again, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, they'll come up and say, well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God. There are some more verses that you can say, no, let me have your Bible, not the Jehovah Witness Bible because it's mistranslated, but Mormons carry King James Version. You can turn to these verses and say, uh, what does that say? Uh, I and the Father are one. Yeah, pretty hard to misinterpret that. Jesus is God. Let's look at Psalm 82. Psalm 82, again, we're building on this idea of gods, your gods. I thought little G were idols. I thought we weren't supposed to worship idols. You're correct. It is in reference to idols, but in this particular case, it's in reference to something very important that is relevant to our lives today. Psalm 82, we're going to read the whole psalm. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Again, keep this in mind. Is this in reference to idols? No. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. And Selah means think about it. It's a pause. Think about what I just said. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Referring back to who? Well, we read in verse 1 there, he judges among the gods. It's part of the recipe. Remember that. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Again, notice that. This is where Jesus is taking his reference from. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Verse 8, arise, O God, judge the earth. You shall inherit all nations. Well, let's zero in on Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, the people have come out of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness for some time. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now comes to meet Moses. Uh, They greet each other in verses 1 through 12. Now we're going to read verses 13 through 23. Exodus 18. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. Great question. What are you doing? Jethro asked. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Jethro, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. That starts to tie together the recipe. Moses was not in place of God. 
Moses became a representative of God, and he was judging the people. This helps us now to tie things together about judges. It starts to come together. We'll keep reading on. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another. Here's the key. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So what is this representative doing? He's taking the people back to the word of God. Not just, well, you know, today I've had a bad morning. I didn't have my coffee. So what's your problem? Oh, yeah, forget it. You're guilty. No, there's a standard. No matter what you're feeling like, no matter what's happening in your life, there's a standard that we always go back to. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. So again, notice what the judge is supposed to do. Hear the situation, but then also take that situation to God. God, how? And this is applicable to all of us. We all have situations where we have to make judgment calls. A lot of times we shoot from the hips. A lot of times we go on our emotions. We go on a bad day, good day, this or that, where we need to get into that habit of taking things to God. And maybe God's going to say, you know what? There's three answers to prayer. Yes, and most of us really like yes. No, most of us don't like no. And wait. We really, that really bugs us when God says wait. But it's basically those three. Verse 20. And you shall teach them the statutes and the law and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So again, notice what Jethro says. Take them back to the word of God. Take them back to the word of God. And that's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what we do on Wednesday night. That's what we do on men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. In the children's Sunday school, junior high, high school. Um, We're not here to play games. We only got a few minutes with your junior high students and your high school students. And I'm so thankful for the, the adults that are willing to not play games. And yes, we have game nights and we do play some games. But adults that are willing to invest in the little ones on Wednesday night in kids' life. And literally teach them the word of God. Matter of fact, Claudia shared a study. This just popped into me. I'm going to forget what it was. But uh, the teacher was teaching, and one of the children raised her hand, and, and I forget how she phrased it. I should have had right. Well, I wasn't planning on doing this. So I'll ask Claudia for it during the services. But the little girl said something that was just amazing. Uh, she didn't say you're taking it out of context, but she said something to the teacher. I don't think you can back that up in the Bible. <laughs> I was like, good for you. Praise God. That's good. And she did it respectfully. But that's great. Hey, when kids know that much information, you should be going, yes, thank you for Sunday school. Yes, you're there to help me in what I'm trying to do. And then Jethro goes on in verse 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as reverence God, those who fear God, men of truth, notice this, hating covetousness. Now, does this sound like today? But guys, this is reality. This is very practical today. And I just wrote that, you know, God gave me this yesterday. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. 
In other words, judges. Judges. Those who are, are learned, who are wise, who fear God, who hate covetousness. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, sorry, then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So now we see what Jesus was making reference to about calling them gods, little g. And this particular teaching and in the text, as you weave this all together, there's no doubt that Jesus is talking about the judges. They were representatives of God. They didn't replace God, but they represented God so that when people would come to them, we, they wouldn't just say, well, I feel like you're right. Well, I feel like you're right. No, they would take them to the word of God and say, well, what does God say? Let's resolve this through the word of God. And this is for you and I as well. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, I really like that, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place of in peace. Deuteronomy, and we'll wrap it up with these. Deuteronomy 1, 16 through 18. Deuteronomy 1, 16 through 18. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying... So notice Moses now confirms, I did what Jethro asked me to do. I appointed men, and they are now the judges. Very, very important. They're representatives of God. Saying, hear the cases between your brethren... And judge righteously between a man and his brother. Notice that. Judge righteously. What does that mean? Right with God. That's what righteous means. If I'm going to be righteous, not self-righteous, if I'm going to be righteous, it just means I'm right with God. It doesn't make me any better than any other Christian. It just makes me right with God. So I want to be right with God. I know you want to be right with God. So you want to be righteous between a man and his brother or the stranger. Notice this. This would be a Gentile or the stranger who is with him. So the judges were supposed to not be prejudiced. Oh, here comes a Gentile and a Jew. The Jew's got to be right because the Jew's my brother. No, no, no. You see, God is fair. God loves everyone today. Today, there's Jew and Gentiles. That's it. You can, you can yippee yahoo about your race. There's just Jew or Gentile. And then there's the third race, which is Christian. You're going to have them. You, verse 17, you shall not show partiality in judgment. Notice this. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence. I have this underline. For the judgment is God's. Notice that. So when you take it back to the Word of God, as I do on Sunday morning or in my counseling, I don't have to be afraid of what that other person is going to say to me. And I've counseled millionaires. And you know, when, you, when you go into a millionaire's home and you see all of the stuff, that can be intimidating. But when it comes down to the Word of God, the Word of God is the Word of God. God doesn't care. I mean, God spoke it, Jesus spoke it into be, being. What's, what, you think you've got a big house here? You think you're a big guy? You're not. You're nothing. You're dust. You're going to die. Who is God? He's spoken into being. So you just got to have that proper perspective knowing that you're going in with the judgment of God, which is what Jesus said to do. Show grace and mercy. Don't go in there blazing. 
guns blazing, but going with grace and mercy for the grace and mercy that you give to others will be extended to you. So as we do judge, we want to make sure that we're humble, that we get all the facts, and that we judge with grace and mercy. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. So if you'd like, you can turn back to Acts chapter 20. So we can see through these various scriptures, the judges of Israel became representatives of God and would use the word of God to make right, to make right, those legal matters that came before them. And that's why Jesus referenced Psalm 82 back in Matthew. You see, when a person or a group of people insinuates a problem about a person's Christian faith, someone who believes in godly rules and regulations, it's as if they're saying, no God, you're a fool for believing in the Bible. You're a fool for practicing your faith. And this is very relevant for you and I today as the world is coming against Christianity. It's a, it's a front-on, full-on attack against Christians. So you better be ready for that attack. You better be ready to give a person an answer biblically. Now, you might want to put your feet under your chair so I might step on your toes. But I don't get into politics from the pulpit, and there's a very good reason why I don't do that. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. But when politicians start to make reference to examining a person's public abilities due to their religious beliefs, now you're stepping on my turf, and I'm going to address it biblically. Now, even though I do not agree with several aspects of the Roman Catholic Church, which I was born and raised in, they do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I know this for a fact. They do believe that he died for the sins of humanity, was buried, and rose again the third day. That's, that's just a fact. That he currently is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, interceding for the saints. That's, that's just fact. The recent Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, says that she is a practicing Catholic, and to that, several Democrats say that's a serious issue. So as a practicing Catholic, the Catholic Church takes a firm stance as being pro-life. Is that a bad thing? According to some, it is extremely dangerous. Being pro-life is extremely dangerous. If you are pro-life, you are extremely dangerous. That's just reality, whether you like it or not. So as a practicing Catholic, the Catholic Church takes a firm stance against the LGBTQ agenda. Is that a bad thing? According to some, it is extremely dangerous. If you believe marriage is between one genetic male and one genetic female, you are an extremist and you are dangerous. You need to be silenced. That is just fact. But if we're going to start testing people on their religious beliefs, then we, shouldn't we also test those running for the highest public office? Joe Biden is supposedly a practicing Catholic and has no issue with killing a baby through the sixth month of pregnancy. Not picking anybody. This is his statement. This is fact. Now, there's a gal walking around here this morning who just passed her sixth month of pregnancy. Feel free to look at her. Don't gawk at her, but look at her. 
and go, okay, the future possible present is, is willing to, to rip that baby out of the womb. I'm being graphic because that's what they do, guys. If you're not mature enough to hear it, grow up. It's not a bunch of mucus. It's literally a baby. A baby's heart beats at 21 days, which means it has a closed circulatory system. It's not mucus. It's a baby. So he believes it's okay to kill a baby up to six months while being a practicing Catholic. Camilla Harris has made reference to the Good Samaritan story in the Bible and considers herself a Baptist. She also believes abortion is a right for every woman to have, except for the 30 million women who have been aborted. So both of these candidates say they believe in God, yet go against his word by encouraging the killing of preborn babies. Should they be on an election ballot? I think that it would be hypocritical since they actually don't live out their faith. This is also true in the area of safeguarding the biblical definition of marriage, which is one biological man and one biological woman. The Harris-Biden team are definitely pro-LGBTQ, and I didn't mix that up, and seek to make Bible-believing Christians accept that lifestyle no matter what the Bible says. Our daughter-in-law is visiting her mother in California, and what she sent back to us is horrendous on what's going on in California. So if you don't think it's true, feel free to move to California. You'll be running back to Arizona really quick. If Barrett shouldn't be allowed to serve on the Supreme Court due to her not being a hypocrite and actually living out her faith, should these folks who are hypocrites be able to serve in the highest capacity of our nation? Just a simple question that I thought of. You see, let's go back to our text. For this I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They don't care about your Christian faith. They don't care about you. What's in it for me? What can I get out of you? It may be temporary, but I'm going to get something out of you. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things, speaking misleading things. And guys, if this is not real, then I guess I shouldn't be here. Because in the big church, see, the large church, there are men and women, ordained women, which the scriptures do not teach at all, that are promoting safe, uh, same-sex marriage. And they, say, and they say, we study the Bible, we believe in the Bible, we've been to the cemetery, uh, seminary, and we know what is to be true. No, you do not. No, you do not. You've taken the Bible and you've made it fit your theology instead of allowing the Bible to create your theology. The Bible is to create our theology. We're not to do scriptural gymnastics to try to make it fit what we, what we want it to fit. So as the leaders of the faith, as fellow believers in the word of God, so as leadership, bring it to us, and as fellow believers in the word of God, we all need to guard this church. I'm, I'm making this real to you. This is real. We cannot see everything. We cannot hear everything. And again, I want to say this too real quick. We're not sin police. We're not sin sniffers. I don't walk around sniffing. No. But you've got to know the word of God so that when something does come to your hearing, 
you can go, wait a minute, that's a red flag. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. And you can start praying and evaluating, going to that person, Matthew 18, privately, trying to restore them. If it's obvious, taking someone else after that point. And then if necessary, then bringing it to the leaders. Read Matthew 18. That's church discipline. It's scriptural. Again, we're not sin sniffers. But we all need to guard this church against the great delusion that is coming upon the world. What is that great delusion? I personally believe that the delusion is not new. If you've been doing the daily reading, we have seen in the word that Israel denied God. No God. I got my idols. The idols are little G's, and I don't need big G. In various ways and at various times over the millennia. But the delusion that is here will prevail over the whole world. Guys, do you see this delusion taking place over the whole world, that there is no God? Let's look at what we find the teaching in this teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to gain some insights about this delusion. What's going to take place? Jesus actually told us in the Gospels, it's going to be as it was in the days of Sodom. It is going to be as it was in the days of Noah. Jesus said that. It's going to be a fact. Jesus is not wrong. That's what is going to happen. So we have to be on guard. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled. Well, you people have been saying Jesus is coming back since the 60s. I remember my mother. I remember my grandmother. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Get off it, would you? He ain't coming back. No, he's coming back. Neither by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, capital D, I believe this is in, in uh, direct alignment with the rapture. And if you're visiting, yes, we do believe in the rapture. Will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So in other words, there will be another temple built on the Temple Mount, and the Antichrist is going to rise up and proclaim he's God. You can look at Isaiah chapter 14, I forget the exact verses, and Ezekiel chapter 28 to get some insight uh, into how this man is going to do that. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, I personally believe that's the Holy Spirit, who dwells within every Bible-believing Christian, restrains, will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. And then... The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord... So as we're looking, we are not to be looking for the Antichrist. Uh, many, many Christians are looking for the Antichrist. I think it was JFK. Wrong. I think it was Ronald Reagan. Wrong. I think it was Barack Obama. Wrong. Don't look for that. Look for the Christ. Look at Jesus, the Christ. Don't get consumed with anything else because we know that Jesus is going to save us. And what does it go on to say? whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth 
and destroy with the brightness of his coming. What a battle. What a battle. See, guys, so many people equate Satan with God. A big battle. Who's going to win? Jesus is going to come back and say, that's it. You're done. Goodbye. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception, so again, notice this, among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. Now, I know you're here because you love the truth. But unfortunately, there are billions of people who don't love the truth or they'd be reading their Bibles. But rather, they read the Book of Mormon or the Quran or the writings of their leaders instead of reading the Word of God. Why? That they might be saved. So even as these young people went out onto the streets in Queen Creek, many people in Queen Creek are not reading their Bibles. So those verses that were shared, they might have been the only verses that they've heard all year long. And God's word does not return void. It's intimidating, but they did it. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Fine, you don't want me? You don't want me to be around? Fine, have it your way. That they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I believe that the delusion coming upon the whole world, the whole world, is that we don't need God to tell us what to do. We don't need the Bible to instruct our judges on how to base their decisions. We'll make our own standard of rules, regulations, and truth. We'll even stack the court if we need to. We don't need the Christian faith to instruct us on what marriage looks like on how to take care of the unborn, on gender, on anxiety, even on how to love God because he first loved us, nor on how to love our neighbor. We love ourselves. We love ourselves. And that's good enough. You see, the world is saying, my truth is my right. My truth is my right. And you might have picked up on this this week. And I might just have to hurt you in order for you to believe that I'm right as the report came out, that there are those who are willing to to actually hurt someone to convince them that their right is right. I don't know if you're familiar with Nazi Germany. I've done a lot of study, but that's exactly what Hitler did. He used the black shirts to go in and punish those who were against him. And they uh, they either turned or they got hurt. You see, that is the strong delusion indeed, and we can see the ramifications of that mentality today in our culture. You see, fellow believers, we need to stay strong in the faith, staying focused on biblical truth. For Jesus said it very clearly in John 8, 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word. Guys, that's our exhortation for today. Notice what it says. If you abide in my word. Guys, do you know that God already knows who's won the election? I hope you all know that. God already knows. He's not going to be surprised. He's not hung up on a hanging chad. He knows who's already won. And he's resting. Because he has a plan and a purpose. You and I, we need to register. We need to vote. We need to do our due diligence. But rest in God. Rest in God's plan. Because he has a plan. Abide in his word. You are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. 
Maybe right now you're living very anxiously about what's going on. You want to be set free from that anxiousness, that worry, that frustration, that fear? There are so many people living in fear. Guys, I did I go back, do your own studies. In the last three weeks, in Arizona, 10 people have died of COVID daily. 10 people. 8 million people live in Arizona. Every death is, is sad. But we're locking down a whole economy for 10 people a day. Because we have to get to the one world government, Revelation 13, the one world economy, the one world religion. There's a bigger plan than what these guys are doing. So we've got to stay focused. Abiding in the word will keep us safe from those who are on the inside trying to cause division or issues, but it will also keep our church safe from the wolves trying to attack it from the outside. Go back to the word for proper judgment. Father, we thank you and praise you. As the world says, who are you to judge? Uh, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And God has told me to judge with grace and mercy. To judge with love and according to the truth, according to his word. So yes, I am called to judge. So Father, as we are called to judge, help us to really understand what that means, that we humbly read your word to find out what is proper and what is not. And that we humbly approach someone who may be in the wrong to lovingly bring them into the right. That we be gracious with our judgment, knowing that we will be judged as well for our lives. And we certainly want grace and mercy whenever we're judged. So help us to do the same. Father, help us to be aware as we enter into this season, no matter how this election turns out, there's going to be chaos afterwards. And we as believers are going to be attacked more than ever before. So Father, help us to believe right now, to believe in your word and to be ready to share your word so that people might be set free from this temporal life. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the young people going out. I pray, Lord, that they'll go to their schools. They won't wait just to get together once a month, but they'll go to their schools and they'll, they'll preach and teach on their schools, campuses. It's their right. When class is over, lunch break, Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Father. They'll just be so excited. They'll go on the campuses and start sharing the Bible. And Lord, as we as adults, that we'll do the same. We'll be so excited about you that we'll share you with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Thanks for hanging in there. I hope you take those scriptures home and study them again. We're living in desperate days. Wednesday night. Come on out, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.